Good morning. So since many of you have asked, um, yes, yesterday late afternoon, early evening was uh, a little stressful in my house. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you didn't watch uh, any college football around (laughs) 4.30 yesterday uh, because the game unfolded, uh, let's just say not well. Anytime, you, anytime your, your, your team uh, has a historically large comeback win, like in, in case of OU yesterday, it was the uh, biggest comeback win in school history, you know, that's kind of cool, but that means the first part of the game was really hard to watch, so, because you had to get to that big uh, deficit, but uh, yeah, it turned out okay, so uh, thanks for the prayers, I appreciate that, helping me get through the evening. Um, I've told, if you don't know me very well, um, I'm extremely irrational when sports are on. I'm not always super rational, period, but I'm extremely irrational when sports are on. And um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it, was, uh, it was a fun evening. We're glad that you are, are visiting here with us. If, if you're here uh, visiting, my name's Kurt, and, and I'm uh, honored that you're here spending your Sunday morning with us as we uh, just gather together to uh, worship God, learn about God. Uh, spend time with, with God's people here in his house. Uh, those of you who call Redwood your home, glad you're here as well, too. Uh, glad you made it in on a foggy morning. You know, I drive a Jeep where, like, the front end of the Jeep is, like, eight inches away from the windshield, and I could barely see the front of the Jeep. It was, like, super foggy on the way here this morning. So uh, glad you all made it in, uh, especially because we are uh, working through this series that has uh, been kind of fun called Things Jesus Never Said. And our goal throughout this series is to get a better look at what Jesus really commanded us to do. Because sometimes, sometimes you Christians know this, Jesus calls us to do things that aren't that fun, or he, he reminds us of things that take a lot of effort and work. And so we've looked at that over the last few weeks about how we, uh, and we need to make sure we're forgiving other people. Jesus never told us we, we didn't have to do that. Jesus never told us that we had to uh, just, just do whatever makes you happy. Last week, we, we looked at the idea of, of bad days, how Jesus never told us you won't have bad days, because we know that we do. And so today, we're going to look at uh, another one, kind of one of the more uh, fun, if you want to call it that, uh, topics in, in the course of this series. We're going to look at this, this great quote that Jesus never said, because I don't remember Jesus ever telling us to stay away from sinners. Now, maybe some Jesus people told you that. Because I, I heard that growing up. I'm curious. Those of you who are like me, you know, I've, I've, I use this phrase all the time that I'm, I'm a Buick. I'm a brought up in church kid. You know, so like every Sunday of my life was in church. And most Sunday nights and most Wednesday nights and, you know, any other time that the doors were open, we were there. And so growing up, whether it was from my mom or, or some of the, the, the people in the church, what, what do we typically hear? Hey, don't hang out with that kid. You know, he might be a bad influence on you. I, I wish I had a dollar for every time my mom told me that growing up. Like, I really wish you wouldn't try to be friends with that kid. And I don't think she meant anything hard by it, but I'm curious how many of you who, who grew up like I did maybe heard something similar. Or parents, be honest, told your kids something similar. <laughs> I'm not sure what, what my mom was afraid of. Okay, I'm not sure what my mom was afraid of. If she was afraid maybe that that, that kid would rub off on me, like maybe like... Maybe he would undo the Jesus in me or something. I'm not really sure. But maybe you heard some variation of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, of this verse. 
from 2 Corinthians uh, when, when Paul says that we shouldn't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Yeah, maybe, maybe you heard something like that. And, and like that extended to everything. Like, no, you just need to be with, with people who are going to help make you stronger. And, uh, you know, I, I, I said I grew up with my, my mom who really pushed uh, Jesus in my life and my dad who was a police officer. So my mom was always making sure that, you know, I didn't do anything to hurt my, my spiritual soul. And my dad was making sure I didn't do anything to get in any uh, actual criminal trouble. You know, it's so like if I put a hat on backwards, there was a chance I might join a gang. So, like, I mean, I couldn't even do that. You know, so it was like, don't hang out with kids that aren't good kids. You know, you want to be with, 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 with strong people. If you've got a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 2 today. You want to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we've got it on the screen for you. But a little context as we get into this passage, because I, I want to see what Jesus did here. Because what, what we've kind of looked at throughout the course of this series is, this statement that we talk about, not only did Jesus not say that, often he said the exact opposite. Here Jesus kind of more shows us what to do in this situation. So the context here in Mark chapter 2, Jesus is early in his ministry, and there's parallels to this in Luke chapter 5, Matthew chapter 4, and then later in 9. Matthew doesn't really tell his story in order, he kind of tells it more in a theological order. But, but as we read this story, it's very early in Jesus' ministry, he's in Capernaum, and he's, he's building his team. And so he's along the shore of the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum on the north edge of the sea up in northern Israel. And uh, he's calling his disciples. And he's basically walking, hey, follow me. Hey, you, follow me. And they, they, they do. Well, the first four he calls are two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, good Jewish boys. Okay, guys who go to church on Sunday morning, go to synagogue. They're fishermen with their dads. You know, they're, they're doing what good Jewish boys do. But then he goes on. Mark chapter 2, verse 13, uh, says, Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. That's, that's typical. Okay, that's, this is what Jesus does. Anywhere he goes, he teaches. Verse 14, As he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. Okay, we'll push pause here for just a second. Levi, also known as Matthew, Okay, so the Gospel of Matthew, this is that guy. Okay, Levi uh, and, and Matthew are the same name in different languages. So that's kind of where we're, where we're getting uh, this. Uh, we're, we're, or, sorry, this is, this is who this, this person is. But you notice there a key detail. He's sitting in a tax collector's booth. Okay, a little, little context on tax collectors. I mentioned that the first four were good Jewish boys. They worked for their dad. They fished. They did what a lot of people in that culture did. The tax collectors were Jewish people working for the Roman government, taxing and cheating the Jewish people. So, I mean, just, just, let's put this in some context here. Let's just say by, by chance that, that the U.S. got taken over by Russia, okay, and, and we're under the oppression of them. And I decide, hey, you know what? I can go work for them. And I'm, I'm going to be the one that comes along and collects taxes from you all. I'm one of you all, but I'm working for them now. And I come by, and, and the, the tax that they say is, you know, you owe 25% tax. And I come by and say, John, I need 35% tax. Then I go to Jerry, hey, Jerry, it's 40% tax for you. Well, I'm sending 25 to the government, and the rest I'm putting in my pocket. How popular am I going to be? How much are you going to like me? How much are you going to say, man, Kurt is, man, he is a good, strong Christian. 
probably not so much, right? The tax collectors were hated. They were despised. And, and, and <laughs> heard the comment, not going to follow up on that one. But they, they, they were cheating their own people. And so they show up on, at synagogue on, on Sunday morning, and, and they're probably not going to be like, hey, I saved you a seat right here next to me. No, they're looked at as the worst of sinners. That's who Jesus just called to be his disciple. So Matthew gets up, and he follows him. So now we're going to jump ahead to later that day. Okay, verse 15. If you look at the other Gospels, there's actually a couple verses that could be plugged in here. Because Levi slash Matthew is going to throw a party. Okay, and chances are he's already got this thing planned, you know, this big banquet planned. And he's not just going to cancel it on the spot. So he invites Jesus, of course, because now he's following Jesus. And Jesus shows up. He comes to the party. So here's, here's where we get verse 15. Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. So he's right there in the midst of them. Verse 16, when the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, I wonder if you've ever had a similar conversation with somebody. You know, maybe like you see a pastor doing something that you're like, well, pastor shouldn't be doing that. Why is this pastor hanging out uh, with these people who are drinking beer? Why is this pastor doing this? He, he should be at home playing checkers and drinking Dr. Pepper like God intended curious if, if you've ever had a similar conversation. Verse 17, here's the key part. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. So here's kind of this whole little passage in a nutshell. Here, here's kind of how the, the, this, this culture operated. The Pharisees were the, uh, the, the religious leaders. <clears throat> they were protecting the law. And, and we we pile on the Pharisees, but let's give them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. They thought they were doing the right thing. They really did. They were trying their best to protect the law. Sometimes we've done the same thing. We've tried to protect this word of God, and, and we hurt people in the process. We're not trying to hurt them, but it happens. But here's kind of the way they thought, and kind of the way I think that we think at times, is, is this, that the religious view is, is if you want a right relationship with God... It's based on purity, okay? And I think as a church, sometimes we've done the same thing. You want to get right with God? Do the right things. And then specifically, don't do the wrong things. But what's Jesus' view? Jesus' view of a right, right relationship with God is grace and compassion. Think about this, and, and, and you've probably seen this you know, over the course of time. You've probably seen this in your own life in this church or other churches that you've been in. We, we think that we're protecting God and defending God by, by making sure that we are sometimes using this, this Bible as a weapon to defend God's honor, to defend His Word, to defend His church, because we want people to make sure they're not abusing this Word. We're not abusing uh, God. And, and I always have to remind myself, God really doesn't need me to fight that fight for him. I mean, if anything, I need to be beaten over the head with it a few times. I need that reminder. And I have to always look back, and I, I look to see who it was that Jesus 
had the most confrontation with? It wasn't the sinners. It was the church people. It was us. <laughs> it was us. I mean, if we, we, we talk about Jesus flipping chairs and all that, that was a church. It was at the temple when he was kicking tables over. He was shaking up the people who weren't doing his job the right way. So here's kind of what I want to look at today, is I want to look at three examples that Jesus gave us, okay? Because, again, Jesus just didn't specifically say, uh, you know, don't hang out with sinners, or more specifically, go hang out with sinners. Here's what he did instead, and I want us to understand these and learn these, and I want us to put these into practice. And understand, when I say the word sinner, I'm not saying this, like, as as a kind of a judgmental tone, okay? we We could plug in the word unchurched, okay, the people who aren't here. People who, who don't know Jesus yet. Okay, so we can, we can put that word in here. But here's three things that Jesus did or did not do that we need to pick up on. The first is this. Jesus didn't judge the sinners. Okay, Jesus didn't judge sinners. And he very specifically told us the same thing. Matthew chapter 7. He's in the Sermon on the Mount. This, this great uh, collection of lessons that, that really tell us how to function in the kingdom, and here's what he says, Matthew chapter 7, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Translation to this, don't hold somebody accountable to a standard they don't understand. And that's often what we do. Uh, the, the, the word judge here is the Greek word krino. And, and this word uh, really means more don't condemn. Sometimes we think about judgment as like evaluating, you know, or, or uh, critiquing, you know, and as, as Christians, sometimes we are called to judge each other. That's called accountability. Like we're doing this with the person's uh, best interest in mind. Like, hey man, I, I know you know better than this. That's not condemnation. That's trying to help my brother out. Okay, that's trying to help pull him to a right relationship that he knows about. But what if we got somebody who has never heard the gospel, and they don't know what Jesus has taught, and we beat them over the head with the gospel going, you're doing this all wrong, get in line, because we've done this, church. We do this individually, and we've done this collectively. Sometimes, again, I don't think that we're trying to be mean about it, but we're being kind of reckless about it. My, my kids do this. One of them will hit the other one. Um, Amelie's really good at like grabbing something and just kind of swinging it and not paying attention. And, and it hits Elsie. Well, I didn't mean to. I said, I know you didn't mean to, but you didn't really mean not to either. <laughs> Got to be careful. And I think we do the same thing sometimes. We're not trying to hurt other people, but they get hurt in the process. So here's kind of the thing. We, we, we maybe take away some of those, those big things, you know, that everybody should know is wrong. Like, hey, don't kill somebody else. You know, don't steal from other people. But look at some of the teachings of Jesus, uh, specifically teachings on like marriage and divorce, some of those types of things that a non-Christian, that, that may not mean that big of a deal to them. Or culture is like, hey, you know what? Your marriage isn't going well. Get rid of it. As, as, as Christians, you believe the Bible. We know, hey, you know, you get married, that's, that's a lifelong commitment. And yet we hold people accountable to a standard that they may not understand sometimes. Jesus says, don't judge the sinner. See, I, I look at it this way. Uh, we we, we kind of use this mantra here that we want people to come and belong to our body, that, that belong to this group, to this church, 
And then once they belong, they start to believe in Jesus. And as they believe in Jesus, start to become like Jesus. Start to emulate him in their actions and in their thoughts. We don't flip that around. You know, you've probably seen churches where they want you to get your eye together before you show up. No, that's what we're here for. I mean, Jesus, again, he just said, that it's not the healthy who need a hospital or a doctor. It's the sick. And that's what we are. Sometimes, I think we want to function more like a hotel than a hospital. We need to remember that. That's our purpose. That's why we are here, is to help the sinner. To help the sinner find Jesus. To show Jesus to the sinner. So how does judgment kind of factor in this? Again, we judge in a way that helps point people in the direction, not that calls them out. Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians 16, to do everything in love. So, so what's that mean? It means we point them in that direction. I think back to uh, when I was in college, and, and you guys have seen people like this, but we had this guy named Preacher Bob. I don't know what his name was. We all called him Preacher Bob. He was famous around the campus at OU and also at uh, Oklahoma State and uh, even made his way over to the University of Arkansas, which is a couple hours away. And he showed up. He had some big signs that just said, you're going to hell. I mean, I'm not the best evangelist in the world, but that doesn't necessarily seem like the best message to show people when you're trying to teach them something. But he would stand on the steps of Dale Hall, which was the first building you had to pass, come in onto the South Oval from all the dorms. Big booming voice. I mean, incredible voice, and just call people out. Stop going to parties and getting drunk. Stop having sex out of marriage. You're going to go to hell. Like, man, he is really showing Jesus today. That's exactly what I was hoping to hear. Here's the thing. I don't know what Preacher Bob's mission was. I don't know what his goal was, but he wasn't accomplishing it. I mean, I can tell you that. Because what he was doing was drawing in people to come and just argue with him. And I don't, again, I, don't, I, I seriously doubt that he ever actually converted anybody to Jesus there on that South Oval. But I'm willing to bet he turned a lot of college students away from Jesus. I mean, I was a part of a campus ministry, and I know he made our job really hard. Because we're trying to show them, no, here's who Jesus actually is. Jesus isn't somebody who just holds up a sign and protests because he doesn't like what you're doing. No, he shows you the right thing to do instead. So keep that in mind. Jesus never told us to judge the unchurched. And specifically, Jesus did not judge the unchurched. Here's the second thing Jesus did, and it kind of follows this first one. Jesus showed mercy to sinners. Jesus showed mercy to sinners. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, and maybe the best example of this is John chapter 8. We use this example a lot woman caught in the act of adultery. What do they do? They drag her out. I don't know why they didn't drag the guy out, but the, the, the Pharisees drag the lady out, naked and ashamed, and, and bring her to the middle of the town square and throw her down, right in front of Jesus' feet. And they're ready to, to condemn her. And, and they've got Jesus in a trap, they think, anyway, because by the law, this woman needs to be executed on the spot. By the law. But they also know who Jesus is how Jesus functions. So they've got Jesus in a trap. They can pin him one way or the other. He can either say, yeah, executor, and then he you know, forfeits all of that grace and compassion that he's been preaching, all that forgiveness he's been preaching, or he says forgiver, and then he shows he doesn't really follow the law of Moses. But he also says, don't just throw that out. So what's Jesus do instead? He gets down on his knees, and he writes something in the dirt. 
How many of you, I'm just curious, when you get to heaven, you're going to ask Jesus, what did you write in the dirt? <laughs> I want to know, okay? I want to know. I've got some theories, okay? Some of the theories are he was writing the names of the accusers. Some of the theories are he was writing their sin. Some of the theories are he was writing a message to the woman. I think he was writing the song I can only imagine. That's my theory. I'm joking, I don't know. But here's what I do know. Jesus looked at the people and he goes, fine, throw your stones at her. Execute her. On one condition, you who hasn't sinned, has no sin in your life, you throw the first one. And there's an awkward silence. One by one, the stones hit the ground. So starting with the oldest all the way down to the youngest. And they walk away. And the woman looks up and Jesus says, where did your accusers go? And she goes, there are none. And here's what he says to her in, in John chapter 8, verse 11. Neither do I condemn you, but, what's he say? Go and from now on, sin no more. That is mercy. That is grace. One of my friends wrote a, an incredible book on how to uh, reach the lost, how to, how to build relationships with the lost, specifically the LGBT community. And he uses this story all throughout his book. But he talks about love. He says, love exists in the tension of grace and truth. You cannot have one without the other. Jesus showed mercy to this woman, grace to this woman. He didn't just brush it off and say, oh, you know, don't do it again. You know, you got away with it this time. No, go and sin no more. Don't do this anymore. Leave this life behind you. I don't condemn you, though. I love you. See, here's what Jesus understood, what Paul wrote in Romans uh, chapter 3. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, that's, that's what Paul says about us. All have sinned. You know, you know what that word all translates to from Greek to English? All. <laughs> Everyone. Okay? Not almost all of you. No, all of us have sinned. And I love the change in tense here. We have sinned. That's past tense. And we fall short. That's present tense. Meaning, I have sinned, and guess what I'm going to do tomorrow? I'm probably going to sin again. Not, maybe, you know, maybe not on purpose, but I'm going to sin again. Why? Because I'm flawed and broken and messed up like the rest of everybody else. And Jesus died for me. See, that's, that's how that verse continues on, that passage in, in Romans 3. If you're unfamiliar with this, man, go read Romans 3. Verses 21 through 26. Read it over and over and over. It blows me away every time I read it. Because we were sinners, all of us, and Jesus' blood covered every bit of it for us. That's mercy. That's grace. We didn't earn it or deserve it. That woman that was caught in that act of adultery did nothing to earn Jesus' mercy and grace, and he showed it to her anyway. She deserved the punishment that she was going to get. And that's the beauty of Jesus. Because he spared her that punishment just like he spared me, my punishment that I should be getting, and you the punishment that you should be getting. And I really I encourage you to be here next week. We're going to talk about that. Next week's statement is you get what you deserve. Because I'm really thankful I didn't get what I deserve. And you should be too. So don't miss that next week. Romans 5, Jesus, uh, Paul said that we were enemies of God when we were away from him. And that while we were enemies from God, Jesus died for us anyway. 
And when that happens, when that mercy and that grace comes to us, we move from being enemies of God to being children of God. Man, I, I don't know how many of you could, could picture uh, somebody who could be further away from your enemy than your child. We, we talked about this last week. Remember we were talking about pain and the, the pain of childbirth? And how many of you ladies, you, know, you went through that pain of childbirth and then you held your baby afterwards and go, man, this totally wasn't worth it. Nobody does that, right? If you do, we need to talk later. Like, we need to have a conversation. <laughs> no, that's your child. That's your, that's your precious child who you're going to love unconditionally. That's how God views us. And in fact, here's what, what, what John writes in John chapter 1. He says, for all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He's talking about Jesus there. All of us who believe and accept Jesus, we get to be called children of God. And that's a sign of grace and mercy that we move from being lost and being a sinner to being one of his children. Here's the third example Jesus gave us. This is one I think that we need to learn how to use and be careful with a little bit. Jesus never hid the truth from sinners. So our culture is starting to move. I think we think that we have to just be really careful how we say things. Because we want to get the, the word out there, but we don't want to push people away. And yes, there's a proper way to say certain things to certain people. Okay? I mean, you, you don't want to just walk into, uh, gosh, you don't want to just walk into uh, a, a LGBT parade and just start slamming off Romans chapter 1. You probably lost any chance you ever had to teach those people about Jesus. Okay? But we can show them who Jesus is and who Jesus was. We can teach them who Jesus is and who Jesus was. Go back to my friend uh, Caleb, who, who was a pastor for a while. Again, wrote that book on how to engage the, the LGBT community. Had a church down in, in the L.A. area for a while, and he said we had several uh, same-sex couples coming to our church. And he said, they came to my church because I didn't get up and preach Romans chapter 1. They know that. They know what that passage says. So I taught him who Jesus was. He said, we just laid out what Jesus looks like, what it looks like to follow him, week after week after week. And he said, they came to understand who Jesus was. They came to accept Jesus and step away from the life of sin. Here's an example of Jesus just delivering truth. Not an easy truth, but a truth. And a little context on this, John, we're in John chapter 6 here. Jesus has just given one of his famous I am statements when he says, I am the bread of life. And he gives kind of this graphic illustration of, hey, if you want to live, you need to eat me. Now, that's basically what he says. I'm the bread of life. This bread that you just ate, he's just fed the 5,000 people okay, with you know, actual bread and actual fish. And he goes, you guys came back today. That was yesterday. You came back today because you're still hungry. Because guess what? You eat today, you're going to be hungry tomorrow. That's, that's how humans function, right? But he goes, no, I am the actual bread of life. If you eat me, you'll never be hungry again. Okay, Jesus, that's kind of weird. Like, we're we talking cannibalism here? I mean, what, what, what's, what's happening? So he explains all of this, this long sermon about this. And here's what he says, starting in verse 60. Uh, John says, on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. How can we accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? 
The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and of life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say this, This is why I have told you, no one can come to the Father, or no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. Again, that's kind of a pretty blunt truth there from Jesus. And here's, here's kind of the context. He's actually saying this to some of his followers, okay? Not just to the lost, not just to the sinners. He's saying this to his followers. Again, he just had like 20,000 people show up for lunch the day before, and almost all of them came back. So he's saying this to followers, or at least people who would call themselves followers. I mean, let's be honest. Some of these probably are the kind who maybe came and followed him like once a month, you know, or they came when it was convenient. Again, he just fed them all, right? So what does it say in verse uh, 66? From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Why? Jesus is getting real. I mean, this, is th- this moment when he's delivering this is the apex of his popularity on earth, in, in his time anyway. He's got thousands of followers. He gets to the cross and he's got a handful. One of his 12 is there and a couple of the women are there. One of them is his mom. He doesn't really have a a mass following anymore. Why? Because from here on out, Jesus is going to start delivering hard truths that people don't want to accept and they don't want to hear and they don't want to follow. Now again, here's where we have to be careful. We want to bring people to follow Jesus, but we can't sacrifice our mission. We can't sacrifice the word. So here's the thing about truth. Jesus is truth. He is the truth. In fact, I've always said this, Jesus doesn't speak the truth. No, he is the truth and he speaks. So therefore, when Jesus speaks, the truth speaks. The, 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 the truth is spoken, if you want to say it that way. And Jesus, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So he, he, whatever he was then is what he is today and is what he's going to be. He, he never changes. The truth never changes. And and here's the thing, folks. Our culture wants to tell you truth is relative. That truth is whatever you want it to be. That there's no absolutes anymore. You can set your own moral compass. You can decide what's right and what's wrong. that's, That's where we've moved to. Why? Because we've removed Jesus from the center and we've put mankind there. We put humanity there. And that's where... By and large, we're worshiping these days as the church of mankind. And let me tell you, folks, I make a pretty sorry Savior. And I'm just going to guess you do too. The truth never changes. Two plus two will always equal four. Gravity will always be real. If I take two steps forward, I will fall off of this stage. There's, there's truth to that. I cannot change that truth. And no matter how much we try to justify or legislate it away, truth is always truth. And here's what Jesus said about himself in John chapter 14. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one, no one, remember a minute ago I said, what's the literal definition of the word all? You know what the literal definition of no one is? No one, the exact opposite of all. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I love verse 7 too. We kind of always forget about verse 7. 
if you really know me, you will know my Father as well. We talk a lot about Christianity, how it's, it's a relationship, it's not a religion. You know, I've heard people say that my whole life. No, we're a relationship, we're not a religion. Yeah, I get that. We just talked about, we're, we're friends of God, we're children of God. Parents, how many of you raise your kids with zero boundaries whatsoever? How many of you have tried that and then realized it didn't work? How many of you have ever been in a marriage with zero boundaries whatsoever and it worked out? Every relationship has boundaries. There's a reason guardrails go up alongside the road. It's to protect us. Not to dominate us, but to protect us. So when we talk about religion, there's, I mean, there's a good part of, of what religion is. We just have to make sure religion itself doesn't become the focal point. That's what happened in Ju- uh, Jesus' time with the Jewish people. That's what can happen in church if we're not careful. See, here's the thing. And I want you to understand this. This is kind of where, I, where I'm going with all of this. The truth is Jesus. And he always will be and he always has been. But understand how Jesus interacted with the sinners of his day. He brought them the truth in a manner that they were open to. You realize this? You go through the Gospels, Jesus never once made a sinner feel worse about their sin. Jesus never once just you know, started thumping the Old Testament on his hand going, let's sit down. Time to show you where you're wrong. Jesus, the people he had arguments with that he, he, he went after, again, they were the religious people. Jesus never made a sinner feel worse about his sin. Now, how does this apply to all of us? If, if talking specifically to the church people here, okay, or those who are interested in becoming one. Here's where we're going with all this. When you accept Jesus, whether you realize this or not, you are accepting a responsibility. You are accepting a, a job, if you will, a mission, if you will. So here, here's kind of the thing. Maybe, maybe you're new to this. Maybe, maybe church is new to you. Jesus is new to you. And so this is you're like, oh, wow, really? I got, a, I got a responsibility? Yeah, let me explain it to you. Those of you who've been around for a while, let me remind you. Because sometimes we all need this reminder. When you accept Jesus, when you become a Christian, when you call yourself a follower, you have a job. Jesus, the night he resurrected from the dead, he, he shows up in the upper room where his disciples are hiding. And in John chapter 20, he tells them, as the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. In other words, I came with a mission, now I'm giving that to you all. And that mission, he said throughout the Gospels, is threefold. Three things that he, he said, I came to do this, or the Son of Man came to do this. You know what they are? John chapter 10, I came to bring life, bring it to the full. Mark chapter 10, I came to serve others, not to be served. Luke chapter 19, you know what that one is? The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Not just save the lost. That would be the easy part, right? The Son of Man came to save the lost. No, to seek and save the lost. I came to go find them and save them. And in particular, this, this story, um, it, it takes place when he's chasing a tax collector. Chasing down um, Zacchaeus. Remember he was up in the tree hiding? Or up in the tree trying to see Jesus because he was a tax collector. Nobody would let him see Jesus. So he climbed a tree. Jesus went to his house afterwards. That's the theme, man. Jesus finds somebody, and, and, and Zacchaeus particularly, he's like, hey, I'm coming to your house this afternoon. 
And he went over there. And again, he gets called out. Why are you at a sinner's house? Because I came to seek and save the lost. That's my job. That's what I'm here for. A few weeks later, Jesus, uh, after he gave that statement in John chapter 20, he gives the more famous mission statement that most churches are founded on. Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission, when he tells us to do what? Go and make disciples. That's, he just said the exact same thing as seek and save the lost. Go and make disciples. That's the exact same thing that we're supposed to do there. And make disciples, that's the imperative. That's the most important part of that, that phrase. But the method, go. The Great Commission doesn't mean that we just open up our doors and roll out a welcome mat and wait for people to show up. It means we go find them and make disciples. We go show them Jesus because we take Jesus to them. And here's the thing, folks. Here's the thing I want you to understand. If you are going to fulfill this mission, it requires intentionality. It requires us to go after the lost and the unchurched. It requires us to engage with them in a relationship. And here's the thing. This is not optional. Jesus didn't say, if you got some free time in your calendar, try to squeeze somebody in. He didn't say, hey, if you come across a lost person, make friends with them. No, he said to go find them. Go engage with them. That is our mission as followers. And here's the thing, folks. When we become complacent in our mission, we stop being a church and we start being a club. We start being a club. We pay our dues, we show up, and we hang out, and we go home. That's what clubs do. No, a church is designed to find the lost and to bring them in. And I want you to understand this, too. Because, again, I think we need this reminder. If you're more concerned that when a messy person shows up at your house they wipe their shoes off before they step in the door, then you are that that messy person is at your house to begin with, you need to ask Jesus to re-examine your heart and soften it. And I'll be very honest, I asked him to do that to mine to make sure that I'm not getting in that same spot. That person shows up and they're messy, and you're, oh, could you take your shoes off, please? Just shampoo the carpets. No, get them in your house. Help them. They came to your house for a reason. They came seeking you for a reason. Bring them in. When people come to the church, we can't expect them to shake off all their dirtiness outside. You, you go engage somebody, you can't expect them to shake all that stuff off, out, outside. Get them here. Be intentional. And here's the thing, folks. This, I'm not saying, hey, bring all your, your lost friends next week. I'm saying, no, go become friends with people who are lost. Get after them. Build relationships. Be a light and an example in their lives. Again, what did Jesus tell us in Mark chapter 2? It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Here's kind of my big main point in all of this. You cannot bring a sinner to know Jesus if you don't get to know somebody who doesn't know Jesus. It's that simple. You cannot bring somebody, a sinner, to know Jesus if you don't get to know somebody who doesn't know Jesus. You just can't do it. If you can, great, let me know. <laughs> let me know how you did that. Because I've never found out a way to make that work. Now here's, here's something I want to kind of press on you too. I'm not telling you, 
don't have relationships and hang out with church people. We need to do that. We all still need to grow ourselves. I had a mentor, who, a former pastor, who used to always say, everybody needs a Timothy and everybody needs a Paul, meaning we all need somebody that we can look up to that we can also be pouring into. Okay, we need somebody in, in both directions of that. We need that. Remember last week we talked about the parable of the soils. We need to be uh, around other church people so we make sure that our soil, our hearts, are good and receptive to growth. And we don't get easily pushed away and choked away by the world. Okay, we need that. Don't disregard that. That's why we still come to church. That's why we go to small groups. That's why we read our Bibles and pray on a regular basis. We need discipleship. Okay, we need to grow but we need to make disciples too. Specifically, we need to make disciples who can make disciples, who can grow. We can multiply. So here's kind of a takeaway for you today. It should be pretty obvious and straightforward. Start building relationships with unchurched people. Here's, I want to challenge you this too. I want you to think about this over the next few minutes and you've got some time until we get to offering time. In your bulletin, if you grabbed one, you've got that connection card. Okay. And, and Gretchen mentioned earlier, we use that connection card to pray. You can put a prayer request on there. And we get a lot of great prayer requests. We pray for each other's healing. We pray for each other uh, to find uh, jobs for our family members who are struggling with this or that. I want to make a challenge for you. I want each one of you on that list or on that, that, that paper to write the name of a lost person that you know personally that you want to see come to Jesus. If you want to mark it confidential, you can. You know, it, you, it has to go out to the whole, whole church. Mark it confidential and, and I'll see it. Because I want to be praying for you this week. I want to be praying for you as you're praying for that name. Praying for that relationship. Praying for that opportunity. Okay? Pr- praying that when that door opens for you to say something, you know what to say and, and how to say it. And let me, let me be, be honest with you, too. I'm not saying, hey, have your Bible tucked under your arm so you can be ready to whip out a sermon at any moment. Sometimes the thing that needs to be said to somebody isn't even about Jesus. It's just something to kind of get their attention. Heard a story yesterday involving a couple of, of uh, people I know very well. One of them has been uh, a Christian for his entire life. One of them, not so much. Playing golf together. One of them was the one who hadn't been a Christian at that point in time, uh, was doing what most people do playing golf, throwing a few back, taking forever in a tournament that they'd both paid money to be in. And finally, uh, as, as you know, he's having a few more uh, beers here and there, the one who'd been a Christian his long time finally goes, would you put your phone down and shut up and hit the ball? That was the first step. Took his phone away from him, got his attention. They're both in ministry today. I'm going to pray for you that you know what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. That you know when to take that step into that conversation with that person. So please, on that, on that card, write a name down. Again, you can circle it, mark it confidential. Sally puts all these in tomorrow. She won't publish those names out. But I want to be praying for you. She'll try not to. No, she's good. But I want to pray with you guys. Because this is our mission, folks. This is our mission. 
Every one of us at one point in time was lost away from Jesus. Every one of us at one point in time didn't know Jesus. Those of us who grew up in the church had that time. Many of you came to know Jesus as adults. You remember what that was like when somebody who knew Jesus said something to you and got your attention. Never forget that. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that you love us, that you show us mercy. God, and that even at our worst times, at our absolute worst time, Lord, you sent Jesus to die on the cross for us. God, I pray that we never forget that, that we never lose sight of that. And so, God, as we uh, move into our time of communion here in a moment, Lord, I, I pray that you would always let us remember that even though we are no longer lost, we have a responsibility to bring the lost to you. God, I want this church to always have the desire to bring Jesus into our community and into our family and into our world so that we can bring our community and our family and our world to Jesus. That that everybody would get to know you through us. God, we're so thankful for him. We're so thankful, Lord, for the mission and the ministry that you give us to do. I pray we never take it lightly. We make an intentionality or an an intentional decision to to, to pursue it. We're so thankful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.